The Psychoanalysis Podcast explores the ways that horror movies examine mental health issues. It deals with mature and sometimes disturbing subject matter, and it may not be suitable for all listeners. It is meant for entertainment purposes only, and not as a substitute for proper therapy. If you or a loved one are currently experiencing mental health difficulties, please contact your local mental health center. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. Breathe in. Breathe out. This is Psychoanalysis. Hi, listeners. This is Jen. I'm just breaking in to say this is part two of our episode on Bad Mothers in Carrie. Our part one episode dropped on Thursday, so you should be able to listen to it right now. That is where we do our feelings check, we do the synopsis of the film, and we we also talk about our own mothers and the mental health topic related to bad mothers. So make sure to check that out if you have not already, and I will see you back here shortly. All right, so much to talk about. Well, okay, I want to talk about Stephen King and parenting, parental abuse, and telekinesis, because I mm-hmm. think it is a recurring theme in a lot of his early work. There is this, there's Carrie, there is The Shining, there's Firestarter, which is not quite parental abuse, but it is a child in danger um, dealing with abusive adults. And um, so it's something that comes up quite a bit. And I I think that's part of what really draws me to his early work in a lot of ways is because it's something that I really resonate with. Matilda was my favorite book when I was a Mm. kid. I don't know if you've read it, but it's... Have not. It's essentially the non-horror version of Carrie. There Mm. is a girl with just really shitty, neglectful parents who don't care about her, and she is a genius, and her brain, like, she develops telekinesis, and she's got this really horrible teacher called the trench bull anyway it's a great book but it's essentially like a little girl with these telekinetic powers and she's able to play tricks on her parents using her intelligence and her her telekinesis and so I you know I read these books and I'm thinking like it's it's a way to give power to the powerless you know like when you are an a child in of an abusive parental relationship you really can't see outside of that in a lot of ways like the house you grow up in is what you think the world is you mm-hmm. know and like I remember going to college and it was really and when I was out of my parents house and I was teaching and kind of like living on my own that I really started to put things into perspective and like oh wow other people have friends come over to their house and they're not afraid that their dad's going to come home mad one day you know like other people like I started to realize how much time I wanted to spend in other people's houses and not in my own and I think when you're a kid there's just so much you can't do about it especially like like me I didn't really have a parent that was standing up for me so I imagined like if I could have these powers that would make myself bigger or that would like set like I if I could start the fire with my mind that I couldn't start with my hands you know or like make the action that I really wanted to have it felt like telekinesis pyrokinesis feels like this manifestation of these powers that I was too small to to show you know Mm -hmm. and it's like I think part of the reason I'm so drawn to Firestarter 
And to Carrie is like these powers feel like a way of making my anger and my hurt at all of the things that happened that I just had to swallow, like making it manifest or visible or affect, like mean something, you know? And they're also outward powers rather than internal powers or mm-hmm. taking that hurt, that anger, that pain, and you're able to kind of in some ways fling it off of you by using that telekinetic power in a, in a way that it's like outside of your body and influencing the world outside of you mm-hmm. rather than the kind of super strength or super speed. They're still like internal things. Mm-hmm. Um, telekinesis is your way to kind of like push back at a world that either doesn't make sense to you or that is in some ways like actively harming or hurting you. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you say that and I immediately think like so much of like a lot of the damage that I think that comes from kids and abusive relationships is internal and you just Mm -hmm. swallow it because you think that's what you're supposed to do. And I think we see that with Carrie too. Like she just feels like shit all the time. I feel like she believes that she is just terrible, Mm -hmm. you know, because that's all she gets from everybody. When we talk about one of the things we talk about with the shower scene early in the movie and you know, I know, yes, it's kind of like funny. You have all these young women mm. that are like frolicking about in the locker room. And I'm trying to think back when I, not so much in gym class, that would happen. I think in gym class, you wanted to take your shower and get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. But I remember like being on the wrestling team and you would go and, you know, shower and get ready to go. And I think maybe because you were more familiar or comfortable with your teammates you were there for a comic there was a fair amount of like tomfoolery and grab ass going on you know Mm -hmm. like it definitely it actually like didn't look too dissimilar from that moment to be quite honest just picture a bunch of like naked dudes (laughs) running around snapping towels at one another yeah i've never (laughs) seen euphoria so (laughs) well there's a locker room scene okay Um, (laughs) but thinking about that scene you know, there's a reason why Carrie is in the shower alone. Mm-hmm. Like she has sat there alone and waited quietly and patiently until every other young woman in that locker room has showered and gotten dressed and is ready to go. And it's not until then that she feels comfortable enough to undress, probably in a corner by herself, and get in that shower. And mm-hmm. the way that scene is filmed like there is definitely like there's some sexuality going on there like she's not like you know scrub a dub let's you know pits and bits and get out of here like mm-hmm. there is like a sensuality to the way that she is like taking that soap and rubbing it all over her and yeah this the music is really soft it's again not unlike janet lay's shower scene in psycho where when you watch that scene it occurs after Janet Leigh's character has decided, I'm going to give back the money. And now she's kind of washing the sin off of her and she's mm-hmm. joyous in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, here, like Carrie is like kind of exploring herself in a way that doesn't feel familiar to her, probably doesn't even understand what she's doing. Mm-hmm. And then like the blood starts to rush from her and she's terrified. Yeah. Um, well, and contrast that with the scene in where she's taking a bath and she's washing mm-hmm. all the blood off and it's like a very different kind of motion. Mm-hmm. Now she's obviously been through a 
extreme trauma, I think, when she's taking the bath. But just like the soap and the scrub and she's in a bathtub versus a shower. And it's just very different mindset. Mm -hmm. And to me, that kind of speaks of not feeling safe exploring her body in her home, which I mean is reinforced by Margaret when she's talking about her her prom dress and like yeah. how revealing it is, you know. She feels much smaller in that tub. Like she's mm-hmm. hunched over. She feels like she's almost going into a fetal position. And that's like moments after she's just been at like the apex of her powers. Like mm-hmm. when she walks out of that gym like an absolute stone cold badass. Mm -hmm. And then you see, you know, away from like the, you know, the cameras, I feels like a very intimate moment. We're not supposed to actually see Mm -hmm. Um, when she's away from all of that. You see her kind of go very internal during that and just how scared she is. That's interesting. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about it, but she's like instantly dwarfed by going Mm -hmm. into her mom's house because it is, her mom's house like you feel like carrie lives there because Mm -hmm. she has to but that house is not hers you know she just kind of exists there and survives there and i remember that was one thing like my mom would always teach us just to make herself small she didn't Mm -hmm. say it in that way but that's what you do when you have a parent that you never know what they're going to get mad about Mm -hmm. you know which is margaret you wonder, like, if the events of Carrie didn't go down, like, would she grow up and be, like, an Eddie Kasprak from It? Would she mm-hmm. be someone who, even as an adult, he was under his mother's thumb? And when his mother eventually died, he found a woman that was just like his mother mm-hmm. and who treated him and kind of infantilized him in the same way. Like, would that have been Carrie's fate? Would she have succumbed to that and just been, like, a a person that never moved out on her own and cared for her mom and her infirm age and never sought any sort of life outside of that. Like what would life have looked like for a Carrie that survived? Yeah. And I could easily see her just living with her mom for the rest of her life Mm -hmm. because that's what she thinks she's supposed to do, you know? And that's one of the things I kind of want to talk about maybe transitioning into her mom not telling her about menstruation Mm -hmm. is like one of the roles of a parent. And I'm kind of speaking as a mom to a daughter, but I realize that that is gender limiting. And I don't, I want to acknowledge that, Mm -hmm. you know, you can have opposite. Yes. It doesn't have to be a mom and a daughter. Right. Not all women menstruate in some, and uh, some men menstruate as well. Yes. So we'll try to do our best to avoid like gender specific terms as best that we can. I know that, you know, I know that I will fall in yeah. to that trap a little bit. So I'll apologize in advance, but yes. um, it can be sometimes difficult not to. And same, yes. I, well, I'm going to do my best. And I also want to acknowledge, because I'm about to talk about moms passing on wisdom about how to be a woman. Mm-hmm. And I want to acknowledge that you don't have to have a mom to learn how to be a woman. There is not one right way to mm-hmm. be a woman or a man or anything like that. It's These are paradigms that we have created that we exist within because we believe we have to. And I mm-hmm. think that we can challenge ourselves to see outside of those. And I think what I, I'm trying to teach my daughter to be the best human that she can be. And she identifies as female. And so do I. So that's part of the wisdom that we're passing on. But I think what Carrie sees is her mom showing her how to be an adult, 
you know, mm. maybe that's a non-gendered way to say it. She's showing her how to be an adult and a female adult. And I, you know, that's what I watched my mom do. I watched her show me how to be a wife. And so I married somebody like my dad because that's what I thought wives were supposed to do, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think part of being a parent is instilling this, like passing on this wisdom that you have gained, you know? And that's what we see with Carrie not knowing what menstruation is, you know? And it, it sounds so shocking, I think, to be to just not be aware of that at all. But if you think about how isolated she has been, you know, I, I think we can see it, but like it is Margaret's responsibility to teach Carrie about this, you mm -hmm. know? And if, you know, Margaret, ha if Carrie had a dad, I think, you know, he could teach her about it too. Like if she didn't have a mom, it's okay. But it's a parent's responsibility to teach your child how to survive in the world and model how to handle these kinds of things. And she doesn't. And it is a massive failing on her part. Like, I can't imagine how traumatic that would be to just suddenly see blood like flowing through your legs. And, you know, in the book, it talks about the pain, you know, it hurts mm -hmm. too sometimes. And just what a betrayal I think that is of this bond that Margaret is supposed to have with her daughter mm -hmm. of just preparing her to survive in the world in this major way that she doesn't. And even more than that, like when Margaret gets the call from her school, like the only mm -hmm. reason Margaret knows, like I don't think this is something Carrie would tell her willingly, but yeah. Margaret gets the call and she's angry at Carrie for basically just having a biological function that she's not able to avoid. Mm -hmm. And she starts laying a guilt trip on her, like, well, you're a woman now, and now you're full, filled with sin. Mm -hmm. You must have done something wrong, you know, right. and to it's deserve just, this. It's horrifying, and, like, someone somewhere did something to Margaret where this was passed down to her. Like, mm -hmm. you know, this is not something that I think you she would arrive at on her own. Like, this is some sort of generational trauma that is occurring here where... You know, Margaret has always been told sexuality or womanhood is like a sin or at least in some way less than. And mm -hmm. it's going to lead to the temptation of yourself and the temptation of others. Pardon me for one sec. I got to <laughs> let the cat out. <laughs> but, you know, in that scene with Carrie, like she castigates her for something that Carrie doesn't have any control over. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So not only is she not preparing her the, for the changes that she is going to experience mm -hmm. in her body, but she is also blaming her for these, right. which are things that there is no way she could control. And there's this internalized misogyny that I think she has that about what women are and what a marriage should be and what women's relationships with men should be. And I think this is an extreme example of this. Absolutely. But there are seeds of this that are still alive today that I heard shades mm -hmm. of this growing up. You know, I remember hearing from the wrestling coach at my middle school, like talking about us cheerleaders. The only thing we're good for is something they're too young for. Like, I think there's a lot of, things that yeah. those seeds of that message are pervasive through our yep. society. And so, you know, what I'm trying to teach my children is that that's not true. Right. I mean, the, you know, when you put the male face on it, like the dad's 
to tell the joke like, oh, you know, like if a boy shows up at my door, like, you know, he better be ready to like run from a shotgun. Right. You know, and it's like they're definitely the jokes that I try to avoid. You know, and I think the best way to get a, you know, when, when I've heard that from another, da- another dad, I'm, well, what if a girl shows up and then mm-hmm. just watch their heads explode at that point, <laughs> like it's something on uh-huh. the scanners. <laughs> so it's, there's a lot of ways that it manifests itself even today, mm-hmm. even if it's not to this level of extremity, it's still, it can like, look. It's not always easy to talk to your kids about sex and sexuality. Oh, totally. mm-hmm. Like we, we just took Ada to see everything, everywhere, all at once. Like that was our family movie day this week, and we loved it. Um, but there's a scene in there where it's like gets a bit into like S and M. And on the way home, I look at my wife and I'm like, "Do we gotta kind of explain the thing <laughs> about the dude with the ball gag and the spanking?" Mm-hmm. And she's like, "No, nah, she probably kind of gets where that's coming from." I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> just you know, we try to be really open and talk about those things with our mm-hmm. daughter and and try to say like, "Look, I don't really care who you date as long as they're nice to you. Like mm-hmm. that's really the only thing that matters. Like, do they treat you well and do they treat others well?" Mm-hmm. But it's not always the most comfortable. I never had the talk with my parents like that was complete based on the sex talk was like don't have it Mm -hmm. you know yeah it was like and it's weird kind of weird being a dude because that's usually not how it goes Mm -hmm. when i was like a few years younger than carrie would have been in this like my parents are like you can't talk to girls on the phone in like junior high school and i'm like what that's how I remember, socialize. Yeah, I'm like, in junior high school, I do remember, like, all I wanted to do was chase girls, or I was really mm-hmm. into girls. I actually asked to go to an all-boys school for high school, because <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going to be able to handle it. I need mm. to be away from So I was... <laughs> Mike was Mike was a little bit of a a horn dog. So well, this will shock no one when I say that I was a little bit as well, very mm-hmm. into boys and boy yeah. chasing. Yeah, yeah, and it is hard. And I don't remember having that conversation with my parents either. I do remember my mom found my birth control when I came home from mm-hmm. uh, Planned Parenthood, um, and we had an awkward conversation then. Did but- she have that conversation with your then boyfriend? <laughs> She did not, although I bet she probably wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, she also did not tell my dad, which mm-hmm. probably would have been a big, big mess. Anyways, that's a whole nother story. But I feel like that is part of my job as a parent. And, you know, Corey yeah. and I are going to talk about the best way to approach that, you know, and maybe have it in stages because I definitely don't want them to feel ambushed and I don't want to make them feel uncomfortable. And I think when I look at my relationship with my parents and the relationship I want to have with my kids, I think the biggest thing I want is for them to feel like they can talk to me, you know, because I, there were just so many things I was afraid to talk to my parents about Mm -hmm. because I thought they were going to think I was bad, you know? And I mean, Carrie, of course, like that's interesting. I hadn't thought about whether Carrie would tell her mom she had started her period Mm -hmm. if the school didn't call, which is another thing I want to talk about in a minute with Tommy and the school. Yet I'm sure she doesn't feel safe telling her mom, you know, and the moments like one of the moments that really struck me this time watching it was when she's hugging her mom right before her mom stabs her. She just wants her mom to support her. She Mm -hmm. just wants her mom to love her. And it shocked me that I hadn't realized the weight of her dragging her mom into the closet with her at the end, you Mm -hmm. know, because as mad as you think Carrie should be at her mom and 
I feel like if Carrie were my age right now, she might be in a similar place where she doesn't want to talk to her mom, you know, but Mm -hmm. right now she just wants her mom's love. She just wants somebody to give her a hug and say, it's okay. And she has no one in her life that will do that for her, you know, enter Miss Collins, which I want to kind of talk about as Mm -hmm. maybe a mother figure for Carrie. I don't think we're done talking about Margaret. Um, No. We got a lot more to go with. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But Miss Collins, I think, does kind of step in as a surrogate mother for her. But I think at this point, it's just a little too late, too little, too late, you know, and that's not Miss Collins's fault. And it's not it's not really anybody's fault. It's just one of the tragedies of this movie. And I was noticing because, you know, there's the iconic scene. You're all going to laugh at you. Mm-hmm. You're all going to laugh. They're all going to laugh at you. Yes. Which that. I don't know if you ever heard the Adam Sandler comedy album, <laughs> but that's where my brain goes oh, right away. I think I know what you're talking about. I know piece of shit car. Well, there's literally a skit where it's like, no, they're all going <laughs> to laugh at you. And it's so, I can't watch that scene and not think, and not of, think of it. <laughs> the well, Sandman. And it's not in the book. Um, and for a long time, I was on my high horse about like, well, that's not part of King's book. And now I, I do really enjoy it. But what I didn't notice is that is alternating with her hearing Miss Collins say, trust me, Carrie, trust mm-hmm. me, Carrie. And so the level of betrayal, I think she feels yeah. for Miss Collins in that moment. I also think it's really interesting. And this is a first notice for me. They do laugh in the audience. King goes into a lot of conversation about this in the book that I think Mm -hmm. is really interesting. But we don't see that until after Carrie has spiraled through all of this. We Mm -hmm. see her seeing everyone laughing and imagining everyone laughing. And it is through her perception when she starts doing everything. So there is a read of this to me where nobody laughs, but Carrie just expects that they do. You know That was a note that I made as well. A couple of notes I had on it. Number one, her mother saying, they're all going to laugh at you, I think cuts right to a teenager's greatest fear. Because uh-huh. when you're a teenager, you have no conception of like getting older or time. Like you're going to live to you're 180 years old. You know what I mean? And, <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and there's very little you're afraid of like your big one of your biggest fears if not the greatest is people are gonna laugh at me mm-hmm. right i i can't tell you the amount of like it's as a counselor myself in a school like the amount of situations that we've had to put out simply because like one kid felt like he was getting laughed at or degraded in some way like that cuts to their greatest fear and carrie's mom saying that to her like she knows exactly what note to strike in order to try to prevent her daughter from walking out that door. And then what's really horrible is it it comes true and it doesn't come true because like Carrie looks out of place at her prom dress. It doesn't come true because like Tommy is cruel to her. It doesn't come true because like once she gets to the prom, she's excluded. It's like, no, for the first time for like a really brief moment in time, she fits in and in all honesty like going to that prom with tommy who was like the star of the football team the star of the baseball team was pretty bright as well 
and very well liked by everybody, there's a really good chance they wouldn't even have to rig the election and they would have been prom king. It seems like a really like sweet high school moment that didn't have to be manipulated. Mm -hmm. And what struck me like watching it is like, what sets Carrie off on her like murderous rampage isn't the pig blood being dropped on her. It It's not like it falls on her and then she immediately sets up the place ablaze. What happens is just like long, long pause. And PJ Soul's character starts laughing at her. And then mm-hmm. the bucket hits Tommy's head and like another boy starts to laugh. And that just starts like this avalanche of laughter. Mm-hmm. If that hadn't occurred, like there's another way this could have gone where there's this like her this outrage at this horrific thing that has been done to her. Mm-hmm. And people rush to her and say like, are you okay? Which if I imagine had... is what Miss Collins would do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, but I think at that moment, you don't need it from the teacher. You would need it from your peers. You would need mm-hmm. it from someone your own age. Because you would look at Miss Collins and say, well, she has to do that. She's right. a teacher. You know? Mm-hmm. And I've heard that before. Like, well, you have to listen to me. You're a counselor. And you're like, yeah, you're kind of right. Well, and um, you could say the same thing about parents. You have to love me. You're my parent. And yeah. Yeah. You, and, know? you know, sometimes it's it's hard to love your kids sometimes they do yes, stuff that you know mm-hmm. we could do a whole episode on that yep for the yeah. patron but what i think is interesting is that pj souls is the first one to laugh because mm-hmm. she knows it's gonna happen yeah and everyone else is in this state of shock mm-hmm. and the novel talks about how they didn't know what to do yeah and that was just the this response to this massive thing that mm-hmm. how how do you respond you know but yeah i think you're totally right i think if another reaction like everybody goes home happy and just talking mm-hmm. about this hor- right. horrible prank that chris if like in. chris and pj so i don't even know what pj souls characters do. i don't either really? she's just pj souls right if I love they her. get like <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you two if they yeah um, have you ever seen the movie jawbreaker Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the end of that movie when Rose McGowan's character like is revealed and everyone turns on her. Mm-hmm. If that happened to um you know, it's a Nancy Allen's character, if that mm-hmm. happened Chris. to Chris, like you have a much different movie at that mm-hmm. point. I mean, a lot of ways like Jawbreaker is an update on Carrie, but like yeah. the villain gets their comeuppance in the end. Yeah. Yeah. In and I mean they do here too, but I feel like everybody suffers you know Mm -hmm. and it's just this really tragic situation of like so many tiny decisions were made and at this point like it's hard to see another way out which and you know I I do want to talk about bullying and I see that in your Mm -hmm. notes and the reason I think this relates in my mind to parenting is like you you have your parent, your parents in your corner, no matter what, you know, and I kind of, I don't say that as your parent should excuse any behavior you have, but it's like your parent, I know you mentioned in the mental health place, your parents supposed to love you unconditionally and support you. And when everyone in school is being terrible to you, your teachers, like even the teachers are kind of mean to her, you know, you're supposed to have that one person you can go home to at least at the very least that will give you a hug. And she does not have that. And I think that is one of the critical differences, you know, I work in a school who is going to be hard to say, this could get me in some trouble. <laughs> uh-uh. I work in a school where there are a lot of parents are not 
qualified. They lack a lot of skills to be parents. Mm. And maybe there's some cultural biases that play into this, but I work in a school where for a lot of kids, like we might be the only two meals they get that day. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or a lot of the older kids in our school are doing a lot of parenting on their own. Mm-hmm. At this stage, like they're expected to kind of like be a parent themselves to so their younger siblings, and they are not getting the kind of sort of like social, emotional support, and also the help in developing those areas that you would hope to see. So, in a lot of ways, like our school becomes like the one place where they kind of get that, and you see it. Like we, especially with some of our, our, our a lot of our middle school kids, like. When we when I have to make a lot of calls home sometimes about some of the what we're seeing, mm-hmm. and then when you meet with the parent, you're like, okay, this actually opens up a pretty good window as to why these behaviors are occurring. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. frustrating part of that is like, I am certainly not if if the parent doesn't care or if the parent doesn't see an issue, I'm certainly going to have like very little impact at this mm-hmm. point because. I'm this much of, you know, a small part of their life compared to the parent. And it's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, I think, what we see with Miss Collins is like, I don't think it matters how many conversations she's having mm-hmm. with Carrie like this in her senior year. Like, she's right. still going home to Margaret every day yeah. and she's still having to deal with all of this. And that's not to say like teachers or counselors or mentors or coaches, like they can have a tremendous impact on a mm-hmm. child's life or in, in a positive way. I do think what you see with Miss Collins here is like she's overcompensating. I think mm-hmm. like she's ashamed of her own reaction to what yes. she, you know, and Carrie, you know, and again, you see like Carrie like doesn't know what's going on and she also overreacts. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. she, yes, she's afraid in that moment, but like to come like rushing at a room, a locker room full of young women, like completely naked with bloody hands being like, help me out. Like absolutely yeah. like no self-preservation skills. Like she does in that moment, like she's very, like very childlike in that mm-hmm. moment. And Miss Collins, like kind of like, like she slaps her. It's like, pull yourself together, girl. And, I think she's embarrassed by that reaction and everything you see. And also when she sees like the principal completely like misname her over and over, Mm -hmm. like she's embarrassed for that as well. And everything you see after that is like, she becomes over involved in Carrie's life. Like she's trying to make up for like four years of not neglect, but not really noticing her. She's trying to like make up for four years of that over the course of like a one week period. Yeah. And, you know, I can understand having that reaction to someone like I noticed on the last couple of watches, like she's wiping blood on people's clothes Mm -hmm. like that's not going to come out. You know, I think that there is a negative stigma about menstruation. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, that I don't like and I've got a lot of thoughts about (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts about periods just in general, as I want to say. But I also understand if someone was rushing at me like that and wiping Mm -hmm. their menstrual blood on me, I would be upset and I would have a reaction. I don't think I would throw tampons at her, but, you know, yeah, but I mean, I'm also, you know, I'm a grown up now. But the thing is, like, Carrie deserves someone in her life that she can have that reaction with, 
mm-hmm. that will not turn away from her and will not mock her and will right. not slap her, you know? And I think that I keep, I feel like I'm sounding like a broken record, but one of the tragedies of this is that she doesn't have anyone that loves her unconditionally, no matter how much blood they wipe, she mm-hmm. wipes on them, you know? Right. Now she's yeah. very alone. She's very isolated. And it's funny because like it is a high school movie. I view middle school like or junior high as like the mm-hmm. hardest years, like seventh and eighth grade. One of like I don't know if it's a critique probably one of my critiques on this is like it's aged up a bit in yeah. that by the time you're a senior in high school, you have so much of your own shit going on that like there'd be a lot less bullying. Like there'd be a Mm -hmm. lot. And I'm not saying that Carrie wouldn't be like still a social outcast, but I don't think she would be like as mercilessly picked on as at least as it is now. And again, this kind of backtracks on what I said before in that like bullying was a lot more accepted part of the culture than it is now. And can we talk about that? I guess like what constitutes, you know, what constitutes bullying versus maybe teasing because yeah. there is a difference. Like mm-hmm. I'm someone, I do think that bullying as a term gets used too often. And that one of the greater failures of like modern day parenting is we've become almost like hyper involved in our children's lives. Like number one, we have like, as a school system, we've cut back on a lot of recess and free play. Mm-hmm. And we've put a greater emphasis on like, structured play and classroom play in the or classroom work and one of the biggest problems with that is like it gives kids less of a chance to like socialize in their own terms and a lot of times like how kids figure out the best possible social interactions and social norms is through unstructured play mm-hmm. kids don't just like and again this is anecdotal but i don't know how many people would argue with it Back in the day, like we just went over our friend's houses, knocked on the door, and is like, "Is Scott home today? Can he come out and play?" Mm-hmm. And the neighborhood kids would get together. If that happens now, like there was a like the girl who lives behind our house, like one day came over to see if my daughter was home, and I was in the shower and I freaked mm-hmm. out. I'm like, "Ah, what are you doing?" Mm-hmm. Like if a kid shows up at your doorstep now, you're like, "Are your parents dead? Like what happened?" <laughs> Yeah, this street that we moved on has that culture and it is very outside the norm and mm-hmm. it was a big culture shock for us. Yeah, and know? I think it's the best way to go. No, it's um, fantastic. My kids love it. Right. But what happens with all this structured play, like kids don't, they have a, they've lost a lot of the ability to manage natural conflicts that arise at that age. Mm-hmm. And the other side of that is like parents get hyper involved and every negative thing that happened to their kid is now like a result of bullying like my kid is like had a situation recently where like a kid got flicked with an elastic band in the face and and the parent was like they're being bullied they're being bullied why aren't you doing anything and i talked to the kid i'm like do you ever interact with this other student they're like not really there is kind of a goof but like not really i'm like mm-hmm. all right not really bullying then yeah. Um, so bullying, what what is the difference between say bullying and like conflict or bullying and teasing? And not that like conflict or teasing are great. I mean, like it's still not something that I'm saying like yay teasing. Mm-hmm. But the problem with bullying is that it's so pervasive, and especially now it's really hard 
to escape because of like access to social media and Snapchat mm-hmm. and so the things that make something bullying versus just conflict. Number one, it has to be repeated. It has to happen over like a course of time over and over again. Number two, it has to be intentional. Like mm-hmm. there's a difference between like I bumped into someone in the hallway and my books fell versus like this kid came up to me and like knocked the books out of my hand or intentionally bumped me. Mm-hmm. The other thing I think we lose sight of is like there has to be a power imbalance. Mm-hmm. So it has to occur because like someone, a student has more power than the other. Now that can be physical power. They could be bigger or stronger or older. It could be relational power. Like they could be, you know, be more popular. So mm-hmm. there's a difference between say, I don't like this kid, so I'm going to avoid them versus like, I don't like this kid. And now I'm going to tell all of my friends to avoid and not talk to them. That's when it becomes bullying. There is like affluential power. Like you might have more money or better clothes, or you might be smarter than the other person. So there has to be some sort of power imbalance to have that occur to have it actually be bullying. Now, I think in Carrie's case, she is bullied. Mm-hmm. And it's not just like what you see at the gym class and it's not what you, just what you see in the shower scene. But like there are things that are unspoken. But when they're in the school, you see like graffiti that mm-hmm. is like Carrie White is. And I forget what it says. Carrie White eats not, shit. Yeah. Like it's, what the fuck? And like totally. why a teacher wouldn't see that and be like we need to cover that up or get rid of it like yeah no one deserves that but even one of the teachers kind of mocks her you know like yes. the teacher that tommy is reading the poem to mm-hmm. like she he kind of makes fun of carrie a little bit it's Such not overt douche. but he yeah. is just an asshole mm-hmm. yeah when and the that's... teacher does that it kind of like gives like an implicit signal to the other kids like it's open season on this student totally. like they deserve mm-hmm. to be teased so yeah not only is Fuck there not going to be a consequence for you for it's doing encouraged. it but also the teacher yeah is modeling it that this is how we mm-hmm. treat this person you yeah. know uh yeah it, it's it's harsh and it's upsetting and that is something that is also a theme that king comes back to over and over again mm-hmm. like he's got a lot of bullies and greasers and to the point that i wonder what stephen king's high school and middle school experiences were mm-hmm. like you know but i also think if this book has if this book slash story has a flaw and it's not a flaw that bothers me but there is a bit of like disjointing to try to get from a to b you know it's mm-hmm. like i need this child to have a menstruation which is something that wouldn't normally happen this late but i also need her to go to prom so right. like we gotta try to marry it and i think he does it very well like it doesn't bother i don't think it takes anything away mm-hmm. but but i do agree like it, the ages feel a little off yeah you know i mean if it was like homecoming that might be yeah different you know but like prom has a big connotation yeah like being, yeah it's actually 16 but like the time you're a senior you're about like 18 years old like that yeah 17 18 late. yeah but then you wouldn't be able to cast 40 year old uh willie willie yeah. what's his name dreamboat yeah or john travolta who also is is pretty dreamy and i mean that you know i just want to say we could have a whole episode about john travolta and chris Harginson book movie mm-hmm. version there's a lot there but you know just for the record no Let's talk about the reveal that Carrie's mom has at the end of the movie when it yes. when it comes to the circumstances surrounding Carrie's conception because there is a lot there and there's 
again, that the shame that goes around sexuality and whether or not like Carrie's mom was assaulted as well. Mm-hmm. And that, I'll let you take it. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about this. And full disclosure, Mike and I have been kind of talking about this Mm -hmm. on and off throughout the day to try to decide how to approach this. Mm -hmm. Um, Because there's a lot to say about what is essentially a paragraph of kind of vague dialogue, you know, and I think it is important to note that one, Margaret is not claiming to be assaulted, mm-hmm. although I think the way she describes what happened could be read as yeah. assault. I think I tend to take the first one as that and feel conflicted about the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also don't see what happens, and we are hearing one side of it. Mm-hmm. I And I don't say that to say she was not assaulted, because I think I tend to lean on the side that she is, but we will never know for sure. Right. And I think what is important to this conversation and just important to mention too is, you know, being assaulted does like, even if she was, if she explicitly said I was assaulted, that does not excuse the way she treats Carrie. Mm -hmm. It doesn't excuse anything she does in the book. It informs it, but it doesn't excuse it. And I think what we can look at or what I want, to talk about is the way like she clearly is suffering a tremendous amount of guilt and shame Mm -hmm. from what I read as traumatic whether or not it was an assault I think is not necessarily I I don't want to say it's not important because I don't want to say it's not important to say whether or not it was assault or not I just don't think we can ever know Mm -hmm. you know yeah and I think part of it comes from like when this was written and when it was when this was filmed. Like mm-hmm. we have a greater understanding of consent. I think you know we're looking at a time period where the person was almost expected to be coy. Mm-hmm. The men were expected to be more aggressive in their pursuit, and the women was expected to be more coy. Doesn't it play out like that in Greece? Like I have never really watched <laughs> Greece from. Star. I'm just thinking of John Travolta. Oh, I used to love um, <laughs> But it's just like it kind of like plays out. Like I'm going to be coy, but I'm eventually going to give in. Like you just mm-hmm. have to like like hard to I get th- right. But we hear that now, or like no, like if the you know like if the woman says no four times and then says yes, like that's still assault because you're coercing. You're you're using coercion to get what you want, and you're basically you're wearing somebody down. Yeah. Where that wouldn't, and I wonder if this was written for the first time in 2022, like how that scene would play out. Yeah. Because what I see with it is, and I, I fall more under like perhaps like that first encounter was more assault, more I'm going to like pursue it until I get my way, like them being the dad. And the second time was like what I heard in that was Margaret like really her shame and disgust and self-loathing at enjoying the act of like sexual intercourse and how mm-hmm. what's what's so weird is like when you think about even like my own mom who was like super religious was like well once you're married yeah you go for have it. sex yeah go for it do what you will you know yeah with the idea of like it's going to lead to their you know creation of another human life mm-hmm. um and here it's like 
well, we were married, but you know, we still didn't have any sort of relations. And like, I don't know what sect of religion that would come from. Like that is, yeah. but to me, like that's not a religious issue. And that's more of like, there's so much deep seated shame and horror at the act of not just sex, but like understanding your own sexuality and even acknowledging that it exists. That like the fact that like, she liked having sex and I'm guessing like because he was like drunk, it was probably aggressive in some mm-hmm. way where uh, she liked kind of like being used for his pleasure at that point. And like, mm-hmm. although she liked that, it also like filled her with more loathing and shame. And she took that fear, that loathing, that shame. And she just basically mm-hmm. like put it all on the back of her infant child at that point. Yeah, yeah, and it's, you know, and I want to also say that, like, guilt and shame is something that someone who is assaulted would also Mm -hmm. feel, you know, like, a lot of times, especially because we're not talking about a stranger, we're talking about her husband, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think a lot of times, like, I don't, I don't know, like, I kind of read her saying I liked it. In the way that you just described Mm -hmm. that I have been told for so long, this is a sin, but it also feels good, you know, Mm -hmm. and how can I reconcile that? And I can't figure out how these things and gosh, I'm so terrible because I'm enjoying this sin. You know, Mm -hmm. this is temptation. This is the devil, which is this is a very extreme representation of that. But I mean, that's that's kind of the. A lot of religions have seeds of that. You know, that's something that we see a lot. I just wrote this thing about about Firestarter 2, actually, about just like this stigma about female orgasm, about women enjoying sex or mm-hmm. having sex for pleasure. I do want to say, too, though, I especially with uh, an assault that might come from someone that you are also in love with, like. Mm-hmm telling yourself that you liked it after the fact could also be a way of her reconciling this trauma if if it was an assault that someone know? who that she was supposed to trust and love like did this to her yeah, yeah. That so totally it, makes sense yeah and uh, like that we see that i think with something like big little lies where she's just like mm-hmm. this is just the game we played we mm-hmm. we liked it rough you know meaning i couldn't stop this so i told myself i liked it you I, know and And the thing is, we just don't, we are never going to know how consensual it was, you know, Mm -hmm. but I do think that it is a trauma that affects her relationship with Carrie, because if she is, if she's reading this sex as sinful, then the result of this is a sin Mm -hmm. too, you know, and like, it's easy because Carrie is like 17 18 I can't remember exactly I think she's 17 she's 17 now so it's easy to look at pregnancy or conception or even assault as a singular thing or an instantaneous thing but like an assault doesn't happen in the blink of an eye like it lasts Mm -hmm. for a duration pregnancy like she was pregnant with Carrie for nine months for like 40 weeks of feeling this guilt and this sin Mm -hmm. and this and I mean that's I'm not saying it was sinful I'm saying that's how she was reading it and just this shame we don't know when her father left like I don't think in the book it's a little bit different he didn't leave he died Mm -hmm. but we don't know if 
the father left before he knew she was pregnant or we don't know if he left after Carrie was born. But I just imagine her going every day, feeling her stomach getting bigger, feeling the baby start to move, just the complexity. Like it's just going to create a barrier between you and your child, right. you know? And you see the scene with the closet, when she throws Carrie in the closet, she's mm -hmm. making a repeat over and over again. Like the first sin was intercourse, which uh. <laughs> I thought the first sin was eating the forbidden fruit, like right. gaining knowledge that you're not supposed to have, unless and it kind of blew my mind to think of it. That forbidden fruit is vagina. Like, mm -hmm. is that what, how we're supposed to read it? <laughs> I guess we'll have to watch men in about a month or so. Oh man, I can't wait to see that. Oh, Every I time know. we see the trailer, I'm like, put this in my veins. I um, know. I'm like, that's a gin shit. Um, yeah, well then, that, and that's interesting. I hadn't thought about her saying the first sin was intercourse in connection to this, because I think, and again, we can never know, but this reads to me as Margaret raised with maybe a mother who was a survivor of assault, mm -hmm. you know, or a grandmother who was who then this this fear of bodies has been passed down. Mm -hmm. And it actually surprises me a little bit that Carrie is has grown into the kind of girl who will wear that kind of dress to prom and mm -hmm. that would feel comfortable wearing that. Not that there's anything wrong with wearing that dress because it's a fantastic dress, but yeah. just given the amount of shame she's been raised with, it surprises me that she is able to see outside of that. What I love the line she has when she's like, she comes to like this, like her sexual awakening happens very quickly. Like mm -hmm. once it happens, like it's on and she's like, they're breasts, mama, and everybody yep. has them. And then a Robert, fucking men. <laughs> right. And then De Niro pops up and says, well, I have nipples. <laughs> Can you milk which me? Which is weird to see that pop up in this movie. Um, but yeah, like it happens. And she's like all of a sudden like very accepting of like, you mm -hmm. know, and when at the prom, like when Tommy kisses her, she goes in for it. Like she's not hesitant at all. She's like, oh yeah. Like she's been waiting for it. Like there's mm -hmm. no sort of, you know, the only thing that she questions is like, why am I even here to begin with? Like she's smart enough. And I, what I really like about the character of Carrie is that she is smart enough to know that like, this is not the way the other 17 years of my life have played out. Mm -hmm. Something is afoot here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, the thing that's flashing in my head is like when you try to repress your children mm -hmm. so forcefully, like all it's like the preacher's kid kind of mm -hmm. thing, you know, it sometimes will lead to the negative reaction. But yeah, I love that moment. Yeah. And she's like, no, this is just my body. There is nothing mm -hmm. to be ashamed of no. because she's not like, like she doesn't try to seduce Tommy. She doesn't go overboard. I think she actually has a pretty healthy reaction mm -hmm. to, you know, just her body. We had this conversation a little bit last week, like what constitutes personhood? Like, is mm -hmm. it your physical characteristics or is it your consciousness? And, you know, she can't help the fact that she has breasts, like no more than she can help the fact that she has like red hair. What, you know, makes her her person is like how, how she reacts to these things, like her feelings, her thoughts, like around who she's going to develop into, I think is really what makes her who she is. Yeah. And it yeah. strikes me too, because we talked about what would happen if she didn't go to prom. Like, I feel like she would get out of this. 
you know, like I maybe I just want to believe that, but I mm. feel like she has enough awareness. Of course, it could we could argue that it comes with having these powers and feeling some control in her house. Again, mm-hmm. you know, that scene that when she's like, things are going to be different around here, mom, like that's no. such a cathartic moment, too. You know, and that's I think when you really start to kind of see the shift where no. she's like, you're not going to be bigger than me. Like there's like people talk about, you know. I I was hit by my parent until I got bigger than my parent and then they couldn't hit me anymore, you know. Oh, and, I'm that person. That's my dad and me. Yeah. Well, and you know, as a person that's I, like I'm never going to be bigger than my dad, you know, there's the I, that's part of why I wanted these powers and why I mm-hmm. still want them. It's like this is a way to make myself bigger, you know, and she realizes I finally have power here. You know, it might be maybe it's from the devil, but fuck it, you know. I'm going to use that power. Exactly. Right. Well, well, and I want to, so to talk about Margaret as, uh, you know, if we are positioning her, whether or not she is a victim of abuse, the reason I bring this up is kind of related to something else I mentioned a little while ago. She drags care, she drags her mom back into the closet to die. And this is different than in King's book. In King's book, she, not to spoil, but it's essentially the same. She goes to the boarding house, which mm-hmm. is where her father got drunk the night she was conceived. I I'm, hope I'm, I'm probably fuzzy on some of those details. But so there is this sense of closing the loop, you know, mm-hmm. as of th- this is, there is no hope outside of this relationship. Like we've gone too far to ever go back. And so in King's book, closing the loop is going back to the source of this. And in King's book, I think the source is this maybe assault, but really just corruption. Like the intercourse was the first sin. Mm-hmm. And in De Palma's film, it is the closet. And she's right. bringing her back into the closet. And I want us to talk a little bit about her religious abuse too. But it is the sense that regardless of how she was conceived, and I don't want to dismiss that, but that Margaret's actions as she was raising Carrie is mm-hmm. what has created this, not right. what her father did. You know, Carrie is an innocent, like Carrie has nothing to do with the circumstances around her birth. Mm-hmm. Um, like it's nothing that she could have done. There's no, she wasn't a person. There's nothing she could have done to prevent it. She's in right. no way responsible for it. Then that closet to me is like, why does she drag her mom back to that closet? That is probably the place that she spent the most amount of time in her life. Like Mm -hmm. she probably spent as much time in that closet growing up as she did in the classroom. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that is to me, like the closet is just another symbol of like neglectful parenting. Mm -hmm. This idea that like, instead of having like a difficult conversation with my child, I'm just going to say, well, that's the way it is. And to me, like that closet is just a big, well, that's the, because I said so you might as well like stamped that on the door. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times where like you do have to have that converse because it's like I need to make a decision quick and fast. But mm-hmm. there are other times it's like, look, you know, there's a reason I'm making this choice. And I, I don't know if I said this when we were recording, but like a lot of like my daughter's friends like to come to our house because I'm less strict as a parent and my wife is less strict as a parent than a lot of her friend parents are. And my daughter said this, I'm like, well, the reason for that is like, you and I have had a lot of conversations about responsibility and how to act. And you've taken them to heart. Like you're a very responsible kid. So we trust you with more responsibility mm-hmm. because we've had these, even though the, you know she doesn't always want to have them, 
sometimes like I've said to her, like your dad's a therapist, your mom's a psychologist. You don't get to not talk about things like mm-hmm. we have to. But because of that, she's turned into like a pretty responsible kid that I can trust in the mm-hmm. case of like, why does Margaret feel fear carry becoming a woman so much is because like she's not given her any of the tools that she's going to need to navigate adulthood in mm-hmm. any way, shape or form. Yeah. Well, and like that closet could be a really powerful source of safety in the house Mm -hmm. if Margaret would go in there with her, you know, like her religion is extreme and I don't think Mm -hmm. anything Margaret teaches her is going to be healthy given the framework that Margaret is operating under. But if Margaret were just maybe kind of just very pious or very like very religious instead of like extremely abusively religious, Mm -hmm. I could see her saying, hey, Carrie, we've got a problem. Let's go in here and let's pray together about Mm -hmm. it. And I could see that being a source of comfort for Carrie. And so I read her pulling Margaret into the closet with her as really wanting her mother to guide her through all of these things. Like Mm -hmm. you were just saying, like have these conversations. Instead, what we get is she just throws her in there and is like, here's a Bible, figure it out. Mm -hmm. This is what I said. I'm not going to explain any of it to you. I'm going to hide some of the most important things you will need to know from you because I'm just expecting you to figure it out on your own. You know? And it's not even that. She's not expecting her to figure it out on her own. She's hoping it won't happen. Like, right. there's like she just, I don't know what she thinks the end game is going to be. That's the thing that is so frustrating about Margaret th- is what does she think is going to happen? Yeah. You know? I think she's like, feels that if she didn't talk about it and if she prayed hard enough and long enough and was like very old, like, even more extreme than the old test the old testament doesn't fuck around like nope. it is some crazy shit in that book mm. um <laughs> if she did all of those things and maybe womanhood would never come right like, carrie would exist in this like kind of stasis where she'd be forever an adolescent despite all of the blooming evidence i mean it's very obvious because sissy spacek is a very beautiful young woman like look mm-hmm. she's becoming a person despite your best best efforts there's no way you can stop right yeah and i know we've talked about spoiler for future topics we're going to talk about religious mania at some mm-hmm. point and i think we could easily do this for that topic also mm-hmm. you know because there's just such a perversion of religion you know and and like you said earlier like i don't even know what religion this is this feels like such a warping of some sort of an extreme christianity like mm-hmm. you know even the catholics would look at this and be like you need to back off a little bit right you know? go engage in some of that communal wine okay <laughs> yeah loosen Stop up hitting your daughter with the bible Speaking of communal wine, like, is there more you have on the closet or do you want to talk about Sue and Sue's mom? No, I'm good. We can move on because there okay. is, I think, a positive example yeah. of motherhood in this movie. And I think that's actually her mom, right? That's Amy Irving's real life is mom. Is it? I did I not know that. I think so. Okay. Well, that's cute. I know. Isn't that sweet? But yeah, she, like the scene where Carrie goes to Sue's, Sue's house at the beginning, like I feel like part of me would say, you can cut that. But I think we see... Sue, Sue's mom stand up for Sue and say, mm-hmm. no, no, no. My Sue is a good girl. Yeah. You know, even though she's not perfect, like we just oh. saw her do all of this shit, like mm-hmm. bully Carrie, but she's still, I feel like a 
pretty good girl, you know? She does those things, and then she's like, hey, I've done something really terrible here, and I need to make, even if it's a bit misguided, uh, and it sets off, like, the murder of a lot of kids. Um, like, <laughs> mm. it's going to be a very small graduating class that year. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. You even despite that, like Sue's like, I need to make some sort of atonement because like I did something that's wrong. And you learn those lessons. Typically, you learn them from your parents. Like your parents yeah. will sit down and try to talk to you about like right and wrong. Yeah. But I love that like Sue's mom is like sitting at home on like a weekday afternoon watching her stories. Like at one point, I forget what it is that Margaret says, but she's like, I'll drink to that. And then just erases her glass. Uh huh. I mean, to me, like that's a hoot. Like I'd party with Sue's mom. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah. I do like her a lot. And I think that like that's the kind of mom she wants. And like, who does Sue go talk to? Mm-hmm. about it like she yeah. doesn't talk to Tommy first she doesn't talk to any of her friends she mm-hmm. goes home and she talks to her mom and then at the end when she is screaming after that dream you know Sue's mom was like no I didn't let her go to the funeral mm-hmm. not because I wouldn't allow it it's because I thought this would be damaging for her yeah. you know and they're gonna get away for a while and she's like it's okay I'm here for you yeah. and if Carrie had had a mom like that yeah how different the story would be couple of things I like, like Sue's mom sits with Sue after that scene and they talk about their day. Like she just asks her questions. And like, if I can give like one small parenting piece of advice, it's kind of the same thing I do like in counseling. I very rarely ask yes or no questions. Like mm-hmm. I tend not to ask close questions and including like as a parent, like I typically ask. And if I start asking a yes or no question, I'll typically stop myself and like try to reframe it. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if I ask like my kid, like, hey, did you have a good day at school today? Like, yes. Okay. It kind of cuts the converse. Well, what was good? You know, so I'll mm-hmm. typically try to like do some open ended things that will at least try to spark some sort of conversation. Mm-hmm. And if I get one word answers, I'll be like, hey, can you do me a favor and maybe elaborate with more than a one word answer? You know, mm-hmm. I'll kind of point it out. And I like that they're able to have that talk. What yeah. I really like, the ending, what I like about the ending, number one, it's probably the first of its kind. Uh, and it would mm-hmm. become like a staple. It's probably even more than the prom scene, like the lasting impact of Carrie as a movie is like the stinger at the end of like horror movies that you see. And De Palma, like it has a very dreamlike quality to it before you even know it's a dream. And I guess De Palma filmed it backwards in order to kind of add that mm-hmm. to it. And that is Sissy Spacek's hand. Like she insisted that she be buried under that. And De Palma said, like, I had her husband do it. There's no way I was burying her right. in a box under that rubble. Like, uh uh-uh, uh, I'm not being responsible for that. Her husband can do it. I thought was kind of pretty funny. Apparently, she has insisted on not washing the blood off either for all of the days where they were taking doing the takes. Like yeah, she that's just stayed in that. It's a bit much. That's yep. you know, like you know, it's a little Jared Leto esque. <laughs> I know. I mean, you do use Sissy's basic, but yeah, you know. but you know, and obviously, like Friday the Thirteenth oh, was like a great. Like they mm-hmm. even said, like we we went with the Carrie ending at the end of that movie. What I like about the ending is when she wakes up, like her mom is there comforting her and holding mm-hmm. her saying, it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right. And that's why I think like as hard as this was for Sue, I think eventually she'll be okay. Like she'll mm-hmm. come out of it okay because she does have that person that's there to support her and offer comfort. Like, and it's like 
the last image of that movie is like Sue's mom holding her and comforting her. And you see that as like a stark contrast to everything you saw with like the one time that Margaret held her daughter. It was so that she could keep her in place to plunge a knife in her back. To literally stab her in the back. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's such a contrast between those two styles. And I don't, I do think it's intentional and just makes it perfect for this conversation. I want to talk a little bit about Tommy. Sure. When you were talking earlier about like coercion, (laughs) I do love Tommy. Um, Mostly because that actor is so charming, Mm -hmm. but man, I, there's a lot of things about Tommy that I really don't like. Like how many times should Carrie have to tell, you no? Mm -hmm. you know, and it's just like, as a matter of course, and I think you said it earlier, like if this was written today, I think it would be a little different, mm-hmm. but it's just presented as this matter of course that he's going to be able to wear Carrie down. You know, How many times do you think Tommy has heard no? Yeah, not very many. And I mean, mm-hmm. and he, like he's not Billy Nolan. Like he seems like a pretty well-adjusted person, but mm-hmm. you're right. Like I, I think he's kind of used to getting just kind of going through life mm-hmm. easily, you know? Yeah. Like there's even, while she's getting ready, there's this picture of Tommy, like local boy yes. wins award, you know? I noticed that. I'm like, that's a bit odd. I know. know. <laughs> but it also is like, when I decided that I liked someone, I would just like find everything I could about him. So part of oh, me is boy. like, but not in high school. <laughs> in middle mm-hmm. school. I mean, you know, not that I don't talk about my crushes on every time I have a microphone around, but The thing that really strikes me and really pisses me off about Tommy is it's one thing to continue to pressure her to go to prom with him. It's another thing to show up at her house. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know what her mom is like, but we do. And we know how unsafe he is making her. You know, he knows this the danger like physical danger he's placing in her Mm -hmm. by showing up at her house and continuing to pressure her and she only says yes to get him to leave you know i mean i think there's a big part of her that wants to say yes from the Mm -hmm. beginning but also another part that says this is probably a trick you know right she knows where she is and like she's aware enough to know where she is in the social pecking order Mm -hmm. she knows that like he goes with Sue, mm-hmm. uh, all of these things are, you know, she's very knowledgeable of that. So she's like, there has to be something wrong right now. And I think, like, in, I don't want to say in Tommy's defense, but he doesn't know, right? You know, I think the town is aware that, like, oh, Margaret White is kind of the town kook, the town religious kook. So he knows a bit of it, but I don't think he knows, like, to the extent of like the ill, like really the mental illness that his that Margaret suffers from. I don't know if he did. I don't think he would show up at her doorstep. You know, I I don't think he would either. I agree with you. Yeah. And it's kind of like what I was saying in the synopsis, like a lot of this, I think red is charming Mm -hmm. in the seventies. It was meant to be like, Oh, you know, like, of course I'm going to pursue her until she says, yeah. Mm -hmm. But you see that now you're like, dude, she's, she's saying no lay off. Like now it's getting a bit creepy and it never comes off as creepy. It never comes off as uh, anything, but like any, local like hero just you know overcoming an obstacle and again i think like to taunt to tommy is not someone who's ever heard no really the only person who ever puts him in his place is his girlfriend like mm-hmm. sue is like 
you're going to do what I say when I say it. And he's like, yes, ma'am. And I don't <laughs> want to see more of that relationship. And maybe we'll talk mm. more about that when we eventually cover kink and paraphernalia. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. there's something <laughs> going on there and I like it. I know. I do like their relationship a lot. I think what's yeah. interesting is the contrast of in where they're positioned, the Sue and Tommy scene and the Billy and Chris scene play mm-hmm. back to back. And mm-hmm. Sue and, and Tommy are able to have a conversation. She's like, I want you to do this. And here's why. And Chris, number one, like Chris's oral skills, she's not only able to go down on John Travolta, but have a conversation while she's doing it. Yep. Like, that's amazing. <laughs> because her head, I mean, I'm watching, I'm like, her head is bobbing up and down and there are yep. words coming out of her mouth. I'm like, I didn't think that was fucking possible. <laughs> well, Mike, like, got a, some harsh truth that's probably overdone. <laughs> oh, now I'm disappointed. But she is very um, talented, I will say. She's very talented. Yeah. But like she the knows her way around a dick. Dysfunction of their number one, like the dysfunction of <laughs> that relationship. And mm. number two, what each respective young woman is asking their boyfriend to do. Yeah. One of them is like, I want to help this person. The other one, the thing about Chris is she's like, and again, I work in a middle school. The amount of times I see this, like the absolute inability to ever acknowledge one's own role in why they're in the situation they're in. Like it's not Chris's fault that she's getting kicked out of a prom for not only a bullying Carrie and getting detention, but then B, you know, refusing to go along with like, well, if you want to go to prom, this is, these are the terms. Like she's like, Mm -hmm. fuck no, peace out. Somehow all of that is Carrie's fault. Mm hmm. And in King's book, we get more of the relationship with her father. Mm-hmm. And it's not her mom. We don't ever meet her mom. But there is a lot of parental enabling that mm-hmm. I think you can draw a direct yeah. line between. But there's also a lot of abuse in that relationship with Billy in the book, too, which I think mm-hmm. is also kind of going along with, like, we don't see that from Sue. Like, Sue, no. I don't think Sue would date somebody like Billy. Right. You know? And what's interesting to me about the the kind of coercion is Sue, like, I love the way Sue and Tommy decide to do this, even though I feel like it leads, it, it's just a horrific decision. Mm-hmm. One of those, like, famous last words kind of things. Yeah. But, like, she says, I want to talk to you about something important. I want you to do this. And then it's not till later when she's studying, she's moved on. And he looks up and he says, okay, I'll do it. So mm-hmm. she asked him to do this and then she let him decide on his own, yeah. you know? And that's what a healthy relationship I feel like looks like. And we don't see Chris's parents, but we see Sue's mom. And I feel like that's what seeing a healthy relationship gives you, you know? And you see this with bullies a lot. Like they, like Chris has so much more than Carrie does. Mm -hmm. Like she has like a boy, a good looking boyfriend. (laughs) She, you know, is attractive herself. Like she has friends at school. She has social power. She has all of these things. And yet for some reason, you know, really no reason aside from the fact that she's just different. Mm -hmm. Like she bears this tremendous like hatred and animosity towards Carrie out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not just that she like, this is a fun, this, we should do this prank because it would be funny. It's like, I want to do this prank because I hate her. Mm-hmm. And, and she's the one in the beginning. Up. It really is. Like, 
I noticed, you know, I played volleyball in high school and I was pretty terrible, but I knew how to bump the ball and I knew mm-hmm. how to set. None of these girls are any good at volleyball. They mm-hmm. just hate Carrie. You know, yeah. that's all it is. And it's Chris that just walks past her and is like, you eat shit, Carrie. You know, yeah. she missed a fucking volleyball. Yeah. And in gym class, which no one's going to remember. Who the fuck cares? Right. Yeah, it's Give not me- like there's like this high school rivalry between yeah. these six girls and these six girls. Yeah. Well... Is there anything else we want to mention? I think we've hit everything we wanted to talk about for this episode. I, I think, think we could so. easily do like four hours on this movie. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think I think so too. I think we've, yeah, we may come back to this one because there's, a, there's yeah. a lot here. I could see with like the patron feed, like coming back and just kind of like, hey, here's a few things you wanted to dive into. Yeah. You know, or I'm sure at some point, like on your the Losers Club, maybe they'll do Carrie again and you'll be like, I've got some thoughts. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, you know, I've got no shortage of thoughts on this book. And, you know, it would be interesting at some point to talk about the, uh, the remake. Yeah. Which actually, mm. yeah, that's what I wanted to do. Cause I, I've never seen the remake, but my understanding of like Julianne Moore is good in it, Chloe Moretz. Is like way too kind of like not even beautiful, but she's like too together to mm-hmm. really pull off the role of Carrie. Mm-hmm. How would you update this? Because I think this is a movie that could be updated for 2022 sensibilities. And I'm mm-hmm. trying to think of like how I would do that. And I'm thinking like social media and bullying mm-hmm. would be a much greater part of it. Like there are clever ways that like, you could retell or update this story. And I think like the remake and I think there's like a another remake of it too. Like in between there was like a made for TV movie. Yeah. Starring I think Angela Bettis from May. Yeah. And I haven't seen be it. Quite good. It's actually supposed to be pretty solid. Mm. And it was supposed to lead to a supposedly to a TV, an ongoing TV show, but it mm-hmm. did not. It didn't. Yeah. Well, and there's also the rage Carrie too, have which is that? where I have. Yeah, that is where my well, nickname yeah. comes from. Gen two, the rage Adams from Losers Club. It's it's not perfect. It's got a lot of issues, but I do think it takes the theme and right. takes it in an interesting direction. And um, is it like Sue becomes like a guidance counselor? Sue is the guidance counselor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it's it. I don't know. There's a lot to say about that movie, but the thing. The remake of Carrie with Julianne Moore and Chloe Grace Moretz. I was so excited for this. And this was really the turning point in me realizing that Stephen King adaptations can really break my heart. Mm -hmm. Because I hated that movie so much. I think if I revisited it now, I without the immediacy of being so upset by it, I would... Probably, it's probably not that bad. What made it upsetting? As someone who hasn't seen it, like what is made it so like rage inducing just the utter meh of it okay is that i it it, there it doesn't do anything to actively piss me off like Mm -hmm. but it just is such a waste of time and talent Mm -hmm. in a story that could so easily be adapted to today like there are themes that are still incredibly relevant like all of the things that you just mentioned Mm -hmm. like bullying is something that definitely was being talked about then the film goes up to it and then shits the bed and turns into a just pretty much straight up remake and it just is so there's a whole pregnancy line with crit with sue i don't remember enough about it to specifically critique it but i was just so 
annoyed with the fact that there is this rich story that I love so much that just completely did nothing with it. Does does Sue become pregnant in the book? Like, is that one of the, okay. She doesn't ever know for sure, but she thinks she does. But then she gets her period Mm -hmm. or has a miscarriage at the very end when Carrie dies. I wasn't, okay. So that's like the final blood, Mm -hmm. you know, that, and which is tragic because it's like the last thing she has of Tommy, you know? Yeah. But yeah, that is, (laughs) and in the movie, it's like, oh, she has a girl. Mm -hmm. it, It just pissed me off. Yeah, so it does what I think like a lot of the worst remakes do, and that yep. it just the whole time you're watching it, you're like, "Hey, do you remember this in the original? Like, yep. let's redo it, and okay. let's do nothing else with it." Now, sure. again, I haven't seen it since theaters, so I might have a totally different read on it now. And I mean, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on it. I don't want to discourage you from seeing it mm-hmm. because the thing is, like, Julianne Moore is fantastic, and she takes yeah. a very different approach. It's more grounded and yeah, and more like depressive almost Mm -hmm. you know which i think is interesting given a lot of what we talked about i can't remember how explicitly they um talk about it but there is a scene where she gives birth to carrie and considers killing her and it is very traumatic Mm -hmm. you know but it's so it's like there's just so much potential here and they just did nothing yeah you know we're living in a society where like a minority of persons identify as evangelical mm-hmm. Christians, um, yet they have like this outsized reach and influence, and they're mm-hmm. influencing our culture wars in this really hurtful, harmful, negative way. And if Carrie's mother's extreme really religiosity wasn't a bug but a feature, mm-hmm. you know, is there a way that we can explore that in a way that updates the story in a way that would be I think those are some ways you could do that and the story is still recognizable and could really work and I'm kind of interested in seeing some yeah. of that. I would love to see that and I'm hoping that the upcoming Firestarter remake mm-hmm. kind of touches on themes because I feel like these are really sister stories in a lot of yeah. ways you know they kind of want well there there are significant differences but I feel like It's really Mm -hmm. like one of the things you had in your notes that we didn't explicitly say is a young woman coming into her power and being afraid of it because she doesn't have any guidance into how to do it and Mm -hmm. not be afraid of herself. You know, like it's already hard enough to have a body, you Mm -hmm. know, especially when you're a teenager. And that's one of the biggest things I think parents can help their children with is just navigating how you change and grow and Carrie Mm -hmm. doesn't have that. Charlie doesn't have that. And, you know, I think that's partly why I connect to these stories so much and why I love them so much. (sighs) So we may be coming back to these themes again, (laughs) but I, I encourage you, you and listeners to check out the, the Carrie remake, almost said the Firestarter remake and judge it for yourself. I might watch it again just to see. Who did it? Who actually, I don't remember. Kimberly Pierce, so I don't really know from anything. I remember. That's right. I know that name, but I can't remember. It might be that she directed this, and that's how I know it. But, I mean, a female director? Boys Don't Cry. Oh, she's most known for Boys Don't Cry. So that is someone that you think would have. Yeah. You know, like a really good, again, you don't know, like, you're. a lot of times you get someone who, oh, wow, she did so little in between Boys Don't Cry and Carrie, too. You mm-hmm. get someone who you hire them because they have this like specific vision, 
And then by the time it goes like through the studio ringer, like everything that would make that person's vision about how to update it and make it special, like it's kind of stripped away at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like there is a lot of studio-itis in Mm -hmm. this remake. You know, it's, it's like, I think you said it. It's like what the worst remakes do, you know? Well, I, I kind of don't even know if we need to mention any other mental health topics. I feel like we've hit, hit them all. There's nothing I can think of that we haven't talked about. And other movies that we see this in. I mean, I mentioned Firestarter. She's um, on that. Yeah. <laughs> Which I still haven't seen. Mm-hmm. But it's I good. will say, He's All That has my uh, Tanner Buchanan crush mm-hmm. from uh, Cobra Kai, which we vowed never to cover on Patreon. <laughs> um, we'll never do it. I know. Poor Cobra Kai. I guess they'll just have to console themselves with being tremendously popular mm-hmm. and good. Um, and then, so before we move on to our uplifting moment, let's mention the other movie we're going to do for this topic. We are going to take the opposite approach. In this episode, we talked about a bad mom who I think it's pretty safe to say is a pretty bad mom. And we're going to go in the opposite direction for our next movie and talk about bad moms in quotation marks Mm -hmm. and the concept of a good or a bad mom and what that does to a woman trying to figure out or to a parent trying to figure out how to be a parent. We're going to talk about Goodnight Mommy. I am both extremely excited and extremely nervous yeah. to talk about this movie. It's brilliant. This movie's yeah. a lot. This movie yeah. is a lot. But I'm very excited to tackle it. Um, so yeah, good night, mommy. I believe it's on Tubi right now. So, you know, check it out. And then yep. check out Tubi because Tubi's the shit. It's got a lot of good Tubi's stuff. Tubi's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. And it's free. There is a cult building or built around Tubi, like people that love. And I'm someone that, in all honesty, I see myself canceling Netflix pretty soon. Like, oh, yeah. It just doesn't offer me a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. think maybe by the summer we cancel it for a few months and then come back to it every now and again. But mm-hmm. Or maybe do some, like, maybe some password sharing or something, mm-hmm. you know? That's theft, Mike. Well, <laughs> you know, kidding. so is it theft <laughs> to, like, walk into a store and, like, shove candy down your pants when no one is looking <laughs> and run out? Like, is that theft? No, and call me a criminal then, if that is the case. <laughs> yeah, you're shoving candy down your pants and wa- not watching commercials and mm-hmm. just thieving all over the place. Ah, well, speaking of shoving candy down our pants, and now it's time for an uplifting moment. This is the sound of the candy. Mm-hmm. Okay, I don't know if that picked up or not. It did not pick up. <laughs> ah. This is where we share any grounding um, and self-care that's been particularly effective for us recently. Grounding and coping techniques are the little tips, tricks, mantras, or practices that help us get through the tough times. And self-care is anything we do to take care of ourselves, anything that makes us feel good or feel better. We've been running kind of long, so I'll probably, I'll keep mine short. But Mm -hmm. um, we are recording this on the first Sunday past the tax deadline. Hooray! And Mike and I were talking before we started recording Corey and I are still not out of the woods of getting mm-hmm. caught up yet. It's going to be a couple of weeks before I feel like we get our lives back. That sounds a little overdramatic, but we're not back to normal yet. But every tax day, I have this tradition of taking a personal day and I watch Sunshine, which if I had to pick one comfort horror movie, mm-hmm. it might be Sunshine. Like, mm. I love that movie. I think 
like I joke like because by the last day of tax season, I feel like my son is dying, like mm-hmm. my personal son, you know, not like my S-O-N, my S-U-N. Um, and just like the quest of that movie to try to save humanity, the dreaminess of the cast. It's a really good movie. It's Danny it, Boyle, right? Danny Boyle. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen it? I have not seen it. Oh, I don't know God, why I, I haven't it. seen it, but I have not seen it. A lot of people haven't seen it. It it kind of flew. I don't mm-hmm. think it did well. Um, and it kind of it flew under the radar, but it is fantastic. But I watch it every tax season and or every tax day, and it's now become my little self care tradition. Sometimes when I am really stressed out, I put it on. And then my other one that is maybe more bizarre is I've been watching Chernobyl, mm, and I just watched it twice bizarre. in a row. I know. I don't know why it feels so comforting to me i think it's really well done and it's like things are really bad right Mm -hmm. now and we keep going you know so i watched it twice in one day the other Mm. day um so yeah opposite ends of the comfort horror spectrum i don't know if you could technically call either of those horror but maybe horror adjacent but yeah so those are that's been my comfort Mm -hmm. watches recently so that's yeah I would say my my uplifting moment uh, right now, ironically, is shoving candy down my pants. No, it is um, like this has been school vacation week this past mm-hmm. week, and it came at a time where I desperately needed. I actually like canceled my other appointments this week. I'm like, I'm just taking a pure break. I didn't have a lot lined up, but I'm like, I just need to do no work. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say like towards the end of vacation, like getting to do things that I just like love to do like booking myself for like a, i got to see like three great movies this week including a double feature like seeing everything everywhere all at once and then the next day going to the northman and then mm-hmm. the um unbearable weight of massive talent and being like god damn it i fucking love movies mm-hmm. and then last night uh going to see my wife had got me these tickets for my birthday jawbreaker uh you know my all-time favorite band going on tour to play like the 25th anniversary of their album dear you mm-hmm. uh and it was supposed to be with the Lemonheads and the warriors but the lemons had Lemonheads had to pull up so the get up kids played who i think i described them to you jen as like weezer but a bit more emo-y punky mm-hmm. um just awesome and just mm-hmm. like fucking crowded room right near the stage and Jawbreaker, like, absolutely ripping through 18 songs. And even my wife, which is not her former music, like, these guys are fucking great. Mm-hmm. And just, like, singing along to every word. And I have described this band as, like, the soundtrack to every relationship and heartache and broken dream, but great day. Just, like, I will never not love this band and just mm-hmm. being in that room with my wife and then my best friend near me and singing along and like them also realizing how good they are. Like Blake being like, look, the time for modesty has passed. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're as good as we're ever going to be. And we're pretty <laughs> fucking great right now. And I know he was being ironic, but uh-huh. he's also right. Uh, uh-huh. It was probably the best I've ever seen them like walking oh. out of there feeling so invigorated. And I think music so it's basically made me like, all right, what other shows are coming to town? My friend is booking shows in uh, a little bit north of me. I'm like, I need to see what's coming there mm-hmm. um, and just getting back out to see live music again because there's nothing like it. There really is nothing like good, especially a really good punk rock show. There's just <laughs> nothing that beats it. Aww. 
Well, we want to hear from you. What is some of your favorite shows or movies? What have you been watching recently that's been making you feel good? Do you own a red hat? What is a weird thing in your closet? <laughs> if you own a red hat, we probably don't oh, own oh right god, now. I mean, let's yeah. face it, that is different connotations Ooh, in 2022. Yes. Maybe I should rephrase that as: Do you mm-hmm. own a hat that you base your entire personality yes. on? <laughs> also, also that could be. <laughs> different connotations. Oh boy! Ooh, I'm gonna just backtrack out of this. Anyways, what's your grounding and self care? What's on your mind? Um, and you can share all of these things and more by following us at PsychoAPod on all the socials. You can also join our Facebook group, the Psychoanalysis Podcast Support Group. It's a private and moderated and just a really cool and supportive place to talk about the episodes or whatever else is going on in your life. You can also email us at psychoapod at gmail.com if you want to contact us privately. And if you wouldn't mind, we would love if you could leave us a rate and review. It only takes a minute and it's one of the best ways you can help other people find the pod and it makes us feel good. And our homework question for this week, we didn't talk about this beforehand, but how do you feel about this one? Tell us about your prom. Yeah, I want to hear your prom experience. I got arrested prom night. Did you really? Yeah, oh. for like an expired license. Like, oh. and I went on. I went to the prom of my ex-girl. I went to her prom the week before we broke up, and then she went to my prom. It was not a fun night. Oh, that it doesn't was not sound a good fun. night. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have the best proms, but they weren't that bad. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, Well, tell us about yours, good or bad. We want to hear it. And so next up for us, we have another Comfort Horror episode. We are going to be joined by Scott Woods, who I just talked to for the Losers Club about Stephen King and Magical Negroes. And it is Mm -hmm. a fantastic conversation. He is a very cool person. And we are going to be watching Angel Heart. Never seen it. I haven't seen it either, but I was reading the synopsis and I'm like, this sounds like my jam. I think it's the one where Lisa Bonet gets like super naked. So also my jam. Also interesting. It's Robert De Niro is Satan. I'm like, I am in. (gasps) I don't know why I've never seen it. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Well, I'm suddenly much more excited about this. Just (laughs) vaguely remember when it came out being like super controversial. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why I've never seen it, but I'm really interested in watching it. I am very interested as well. And it's one that I ha- actually hadn't heard of until he suggested this. So I'm super excited. So yes, Angel Heart, that's going to be our next one. And for more of us, Mike, what's going on in the world of Patreon? So you can go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast and become a patron of our show. And that is where you get a lot of bonus content. We try to post a bonus episode every month, whether it be a Q&A, whether it be like a loose look at like a movie we love or, you know, really whatever bullshit we're on that month. Like that is where <laughs> we go. We have uh, higher tiers where you get our medicine chest, which is where we give our recommendations. It's kind of like an extended version of the uplifting moment mm-hmm. where we talk about like, here's like the media we're consuming that we really love right now. Uh, at the highest monthly tier, we have things like the tr- uh, the treatment plan, which is where I'll take a character from a movie, kind of like put them on the couch and say, hey, here's how I would treat them. Here's what they're suffering from. Here are the symptoms. Here's how I would treat them. Or we'll do things like fan commentaries. I think this year we're committed to getting through all the Scream movies. For fan commentary, so mm-hmm. probably either May or June we'll do Scream 2, 
And we have a $50 tier, which is a one-time payment, which allows you to pick a movie to do as a comfort horror episode or a movie to do uh, along with a topic. Um, but it's a one-time $50 donation. It allows you to like pick the movie and topic or just the movie. And you get to come on the episode uh, and talk to us for like, you know, 15, 20 minutes about why you picked that movie, uh, what it means to you, and, you know, why I am like the sexiest co-host in <laughs> the podcast landscape, you know, all that normal <laughs> stuff. So, yeah, go to patreon.com slash psychoanalysis podcast to become a patron today sweet and now let's wrap up with some plugs and mike you just talked for a bit so i'll give you a break um you can find me at jim Ferratu on twitter and instagram and you can find me also hosting the losers club podcast speaking of stephen king a lot of what we talked about today i have talked about on various other episodes of the losers club and we'll probably be saying some similar things about the upcoming Firestarter remake. We're also about to start covering um, Stranger Things. And I'm going to do, we're going to do season by season. I'm going to be talking about season one. I'm super excited about that. I'm going to be writing a lot about Firestarter, the new one. Um, I have just published something on Dread Central about Charlie's firegasms, because that is something that happens mm-hmm. in Firestarter too. Not Child Charlie adult charlie Mm -hmm. it is appropriate um but lots more stuff coming up so i'm also writing at lots of places so just follow me and find me and oh and the white ladies in crisis podcast which we are about to talk about suspiria and i'm very excited excellent so mike where can we find you sure so on twitter you can find me at mike underscore snoonian you can find me at letterbox over at mike chump change so find me there you can find my other show uh the pod and the pendulum everywhere you get your podcast we just like literally as we record this like the episode on child's play 2019 has gone up where we did a crossover with our friends at the disenfranchised podcast uh we're going to be covering scream 2022 so we can now say we've covered all five current scream movies uh, and then we're going into get ready for it, Jen. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre will be the next franchise we cover for the next nine episodes or so. I, so I feel like to that. you're covering that just so I can make a bunch of. I really noises. am regretting picking that. <laughs> but yeah, you can find the pod on the pendulum everywhere you get your podcasts. And follow me on the socials. I'm hilarious. So, <laughs> yes, yes, you are. And that's our episode on Carrie. That was a big one. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us. Mike, thank you. This, you know, sometimes we wade into the darker waters Mm -hmm. and I feel like, you know, I always appreciate you being someone that I can talk to about those things. So I am like that bridge over troubled waters. That's true. I I will lay me down. Oh, I can play that song on the piano. Uh, Anyways, so (laughs) listeners, thank you so much for spending time with us. Make sure to take care of yourselves and each other. And with that, let's sign off. We came here to chew bubblegum and take care of ourselves. And And we're all all out of of bubblegum. Should I say, but we do have dirty pillows. (laughs) Oh.